When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we're back after a short international break as FPL once again returned in earnest. Apologies if I'm a little bit crackly on this pod. I was at a stag do on Friday, a wedding on Saturday, out with Nick and some other school friends last night. So more shots than Sardo Mane versus Leeds basically have gone through my system. But I'm sacrificing for my craft and all that, pushing through. Uh, but yeah, I'm knackered. So we are Who Got the Assist. I'm Tom. Find me on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL. And my co-host is Anthony at FPL Stag, also on wca.fpl the lead code is 2ip43t we're also on video as well so if you prefer to go on youtube go and find us there you should nice little slideshow and see our faces you're right anthony how have you uh, enjoyed the international break well as you know tom i always enjoy the international break and this one was no different it was actually i got to my first game since the pandemic began which was great so ireland's international break was a bit more entertaining than you predicted uh, in our last pod we had a gut-wrenching 2-1 loss to Portugal a late Ronaldo brace more on that guy scoring braces later I guess and we had a disappointing 1-1 draw with Azerbaijan but 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 we drew 1-1 with Serbia and it felt so so sweet Tom really want the Stephen Kenny side of the ongoing Irish football culture war to succeed so (laughs) seeing Ireland score possibly the worst goal in the history of football to draw 1-1 was brilliant even the stadium was half full. I think it was as loud as, as the noise that greeted Shane Long scoring against Germany in 2015 to beat uh, them, uh, to give play. you an idea. So goal scoring Shanes. Yeah. So proper moment. But yeah, anyway, enough about that international break because Gaming 4, of course, has come and gone since then. So we have loads to talk about. Are three premiums just too much? And do they lead to an overcompromise in our team? We'll also have, of course, after answering that general question, uh, as best as we can, we will have the usual slots later in the show, like the market forces, the correspondence and listeners' questions. First of all, though, we will start with the Game Rig reviews. Yep, um, and it was my wild card, and I've ended up with 63. Um, you'll find out in just a minute, I had the choice in this one and the freemium wild card. Um, and I went for a wild card, um, which didn't have uh, the free uh, premium players in it. I only had Ronaldo and Salah. What I went with in the end was Backman and Steer, because Steer um, is backing up for Martinez. and Backman, I think I, I wanted him for the saves, because I noticed he was getting a few of them. But I think that that probably was a bit of a, a dumb decision, actually, in retrospect. Um, at the back, uh, Trent stayed, Shaw stayed. Um, Connor Cody comes in and he's actually going to come off the bench for me today because Christensen, who was rock solid, going to be playing the league and Thiago Silva is going to be rock solid playing the Champions League. That went the other way around. So Christensen already gave me a bit of a headache and Brandon Williams at the back. Midfield, a bit of a blank fest really. Fran Torres, Ben Rama, Jota, Rafinha, all blanked. How Jota blanked is beyond me. A classic 
Jota points dodging performance and Salah stays and Salah with my captain and probably ne- the next couple of game weeks up front uh, Ronaldo Antonio got himself sent off which is really really annoying but equally he was uh, owned by more than 100% EO so you know that's fine and uh, Dennis um, just making up the team basically um, he'll be playing next week I think for Antonio unless I make a make a transfer but yeah 63 and um, tiny red arrow not particularly happy with it of course and uh, there are loads of sliding doors sort of moments shockingly of course I'm going to say this I do stand by the calls I made I think it's a good team uh, I just think that it's a little bit unusual to say the least that to one have Antonio Vincent off that didn't really matter too much but Torres, Benrama, Jota and uh, all three of them blanking uh, that I think is paid to be getting Green Arrow this week so um, all in all, I think the signs are going to be okay. It's just that Antonio Red cards obviously give me another kind of headache straight away. And we'll talk about that later on, of course. Um, Anthony, you did a little bit better, didn't you? Yes, slightly better, thankfully. 66 points, which has given me a green arrow, at least, after the absolute disaster that I too had after my wild card, uh, you might remember, in game week three. So that 66 points, uh, for those listening, kind of came from a very odd hodgepodge of players. I had a clean sweep at the back. Sanchez, six. Sufal, six. Cody six and White five, um, which was a bit annoying, but there you go, five from him. Uh, in midfield, uh, mixed fortunes, I guess. I had Ben Rama, who I never wanted in the first place. I went with because I just felt like I was going against EO too much, and he does exactly what I expected him to do again, which is very annoying. Rafinha, two points. Bruno Fernandes, eight points, who I kept. Uh, Jota with three points. Then up front, this is kind of where all the trials and tribulations really in this team have happened. The Antonio minus one, I suffered with everyone. The Kane, two points I suffered alone and the Lukaku 26 points I enjoyed almost alone matching Ronaldo which was good of course the issue I guess here is that I am now going into this game week with two free transfers but what I could have done and what my original plan was to do ahead of game week four was to probably move on one of Lukaku or Kane to Ronaldo and basically because of the disaster that was game week three I just felt like I needed to just exercise caution sit on my hands and not do something so i guess there's there's 11 points kind of begging there where i would have put kane to ronaldo i probably would have captain ronaldo not lukaku it would have been the same result the 11 points would have been nice and it would have made things a little bit better but overall at least i kept fernandez i might have been getting itchy hands and thought about um moving him on as well and doing some sort of minus four and then we're quite quickly into you know no gain no loss so yeah, with yeah. that in mind, the 66 points is good. I'm now 38 points off the top 100k, which is where I was before Game Week 3's disaster. And I am 58 points off the top 10k. Look, it's fine. It's just it's so it's still frustrating the what happened in Game Week 3, but at least yeah. this week steady the ship. Yeah, no one likes to be in recovery mode for too long, do they? Just for objectives. Um, so this year, the start of the season, we set our objectives to keep ourselves accountable uh, throughout the season. Um, Anthony? I think maybe arguably people could say that I didn't captain with the herd or the algos, although I would say I captained with the algos by going with Lukaku. And so I don't feel like I breached that particular captaincy question. I didn't have a dilemma to favour a midfielder with. So I, I went with who I wanted to captain, basically. Transfers, I... I guess maybe I was afraid to transfer out elite players if they've dropped off, but I wasn't. I, I brought Kane in for two good fixtures potentially, and I kept him because I wasn't going to judge him based on one fixture, his first game back in the league uh, after his whole summer farrago, whatever you want to describe it as. And I guess he had scored in the international break for England with a you know a very much solo goal against uh, Poland in the sense of you know the fact that it wasn't exactly a chance created for him. And so I was kind of like, even if Spurs are underperforming, at least he's going. Um, 
but it was as Kane games go, it was one of his worst ones ever. Um, just wasn't getting the supply, wasn't getting the service, didn't get the chances, no touches in the box, no shots. And that's one of the very few times that he's ever had that happen for him yeah. for Tottenham. Timing, times, uh, making transfers late, late. No, I didn't because I didn't make any transfers whatsoever. And max 10 hits total this season and one hit in the first five game weeks. I still haven't taken that hit, which means I am fully entitled to take a hit going into game week five. And I am probably going to exercise that chance with a mini wildcard. Um, so no, I'm all on track, Tom. I'm on track as well. So captaincy-wise, do what Mikel's algorithm tells me to do. Mikel Tokvam, you can find him on Twitter, T-O-K-V-A-M. Basically, I'm just following what that algo tells me to do. So I captain Salah this week, and I had no like kind of anger about the fact that Lukaku and Ronaldo did better. And watching the game, Mo was one great tackle and one slight offside away from two goals and one assist. He can do that in any any kind of game, effectively. So um, I don't think anyone's going to be kind of judging me for, for captaining Salah. I'm sure I will get again next week. Um, transfers in the 50-50 situation take the hit. That one may come into play next week. Um, and transfers take a chance on form. Buying bandwagon players. Yes, the woolly one. Don't know about that one at the moment. Um, I will uh, see and assess what you think later on Anthony as well in terms of the Antonio problem we've both got and whether I'm compelled to do something. I like I like being compelled to do something, you know? I, 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 I can be so indecisive, you know, like the curb your enthusiasm gift. You're like, oh, I don't know. And I spend all week kind of asking you guys stuff. But for God's sake, just go away and make your own decision. So it's nice to have that sort of, you know, the, the structure of a safety net to kind of get me kind of uh, doing something that I should do. Anyway, um, let's move on to the mid-league update. Um, 2IP, 4-3-T is the way to get um, involved with our mini-league. Um, but at the top at the moment, um, it is still um, no scout, no glory. Brian Quinn. 71 points, 370 points overall. He also captained Salah this week, but he had a kind of a, an interesting team here. He had Salah and goals. He had a defence of three men, Shaw, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Rudiger, combining for 5, 12 and 6 respectively. In midfield, he had a five-man midfield, so it's a 3-5-2. Jota, Benrama, Salah, captain. Greenwood and Torres and then up front he had Antonio paired with Lukaku so nice. an interesting one there that was a wildcard team for him as yeah. well so just to complete the squad that he actually built with that wildcard Steer, Williams, Livramento and Street. Yep. In second um, up from fourth is Boris Stojkovic I think is the way to pronounce that uh, with Risky Business he also wildcarded and also Captain Lukaku Anthony uh, joined you on Lukaku um, up to third Joey de Aguiar, who I think we've spoken to on Twitter a couple of times, actually. A really nice guy. I took minus four this week, um, brought in Lukaku, uh, brought in Jota, and brought in Marshall. That's a great little pickup there for the, that pair of assists. Um, he's up. He got 81 points this week. Um, he's up to third. Um, in fourth, all the way up from 57th, it's Daniel Compton the Damned United. 84 points, wild card into the Ronaldo captaincy. In fifth, uh, down to fifth from second, Sean McGarry, the Wolf Ferrells. Um, he's actually joined on fifth by uh, well, three other managers. Uh, so Charles Woods, uh, 77 this week on his wild card too, captain Ronaldo. FPL Seb, uh, Seb Long, uh, also Ronaldo captain on his wild card, 89 points. And Liam O'Reilly, keep it simple, took minus four uh, to bring in Ronaldo. Gray, who uh, obviously has, has scored his third goal from his third shot on target this season tonight, and Jota. So shared my anger with Jota. And uh, to round off the top 10, in joint ninth, actually, um, Tegan Chapman Co. Um, is up from 18th. They um, are up to 79 this week. Son out, Gray in, 
Ings out, Ronaldo in, really, really profitable transfer there. And uh, completing the top 10 um, is Tim Goff, um, Alicantra, Lethal Lama, uh, 66 points. A little bit of a disappointing wild card. I feel you, bro. Um, Salah captain and uh, Vice Greenwood as well. Interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, it's really close at the top. No, uh, Ryan's lead is, what, six points? And maybe we're seeing your mini leagues as well that there's not a huge gap unless someone's had an absolute blinder, which, which actually I think may have occurred in one of our mini leagues, Anthony. Our friend Neil Gupta has had a very, very good start. But it, in most mini leagues at the moment, I think it is you're one good week away from being uh, up in the mix, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 18 points separating the top 10 there. So not a huge amount of variance there between them. Yeah, absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. Um, Let's move on to market forces. I'm assuming it's going to be dominated by one man. Yes, indeed, Tom. It is dominated by one man who is so far ahead, it's almost hard to believe. And that is, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo with 722,993 transfers in. He still hasn't risen in price. That is not going to be the case for much longer, I suspect. Yeah, I think he'll go up tonight, by the looks of it. Yeah, Ronaldo right up there, uh, leading the way, followed closely by his premium rival, Romelu Lukaku, who is already 11.6 en route to 11.7. He is about 350,000 transfers in, rounding out the top five, but with um, nowhere near as many transfers in, really. Pogba, just over 200,000 transfers in. Little old Gallagher. Still going well, Connor Gallagher, uh, 5.6 now. He has been a really interesting one for Crystal Palace. And he had a very good game against Brentford and didn't get anything in that particular game. Looked interesting and then just exploded against West Ham, of course, with a brace. And that has been followed up by a brace of assists against Spurs in one of the most surprising results of this season so far. So yeah, it's fair enough that he's so popular. And I think he is really the enabler for a premium setup, which is, I guess, something that we're going to get to quite soon. Kind of other transfers worth talking are people who have been popular transfers in worth talking about, the likes of Martial, uh, 176,000 transfers in, Shane Duffy, 144,000 transfers in, Ferran Torres, Kovacic. Yeah, Ferran Torres. Yeah, got a clean sheet again, didn't you? Start? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ferran Torres, Kovacic, Gray, Greenwood. Uh, Odson Edward and maybe Patrick Bamford as well are kind of the transfers worth talking about. They're all in around 150,000 transfers in. Um, hard to separate them. The, the element of randomness still does exist in the market. 150,000 people have bought in Kovacic and 25,000 people have bought in ASM. And you look at them and you kind of think, he did a thing and now you've just decided to buy him. That's, that's a very odd uh, situation to be in. Leading the way in terms of transfers out, Michael Antonio. He actually has more transfers out than Ronaldo has transfers in. Uh, Eight hundred and eight yeah. thousand. Five yeah. Uh, transfers out. He's seven point nine right now. Could he do a triple drop? It's entirely possible. I think, I think they, they red flagged him and they cut out a lot of those transfers. And um, the moment ah. they red flagged him, it, it, it cut off the flow. So I think he's got to start again. So on fix, he's on minus twenty four percent. I'm guessing if they hadn't have red flagged him. When they did, yeah, exactly. It would probably he probably be like you know minus three hundred percent or something right now because I think he's he's gone down from like, over fifty percent own to being about thirty five now, and that's like yeah. a huge decrease. And quite interesting because he he is at the end of the day only suspended for one game, and the game he returns to is a game against Leeds, who right now have the second highest XGC. So you know, obviously we've got we're taking a part later, of course, and so we will we'll get very much get to it. <laughs> yes, uh, other kind of popular th- transfers out about a quarter of a million transfers out for Bruno Fernandez and Youngmin Son. Uh, Danny Ings kind of follows them up with just over 200,000 transfers out. And then there is kind of another smattering of players like Shimikas, Shaw, Ben Rama, Mount, Grealish, Tony, and Calvert Lewin, I guess, are the ones worth talking about. All of them in around kind of 120 to 150,000 transfers out. Yep. Very uh, interesting, although not surprising, state of affairs. Bruno Fernandes, 
I mean, he's just done a, well, it was a wonder goal, wasn't it, for eight points, but not enough to see people using him as a bit of a foil for bringing in Ronaldo. Right, let's move on to the main theme this week. Should we look to own free premiums? The idea of behind this is kind of thinking about what happened this week um, with namely Lukaku, Ronaldo and Salah, who I, I think we need to kind of just consider as just FPL royalty at this point. Like was, I know Anthony did get rid of him. For me, I just it's, it's one of those kind of things where I just never even considered removing him on my wild card. Um, but I think what we are entering into is this sort of interest for a freemium um, style of setup. So freemium is obviously a portmanteau of free and premium, as in I've gone for a freemium setup for my FPL team. Um, if you don't like portmanteaus, you listen to wrong pod. But I think that there's loads of questions as well on the subject. So my part of the usual question thread this week, a lot of the questions revolved around how do I set up my team to make sure it's well balanced? You know, how do I set up my team to make sure that I can get through this freemium sort of setup and not be kind of looking at through dregs to try to fill out my side? And um, so likes of FPL Pricey, Sam, he said, you know, do you think that by using 6.5 million or under options uh, in midfield or forward, you'd be sacrificing so much depth to accommodate those free premiums? He also astutely says, is the fact all free premiums returned at once, giving a slight tunnel vision on this matter? Triple Nutmeg says, you know, is Ronkaku essential? Um, I love Portmanteau. I really like that one as well, Ronkaku. I feel like I'd be ordering that in a Japanese restaurant. Ryan says, you know, how many mid-price mids would you have starting uh, between 5.5 and 6.5? He says he's definitely not influenced by a Robin Ron or Ron Kaku and ethical governor you know triple premiums yay or nay gif and uh, CNG go one step further is the premium for doable they ask 7.5 12.5 12.5 I think as it stands we're continuing that narrative arc as Abney mentioned earlier on um, from kind of the last couple of pods obviously we are a stats pod with four game weeks worth of data as a base size so we're not going to be throwing out too much of that at the moment this will be ameliorated once we do get some stats i'll start doing some proper analyses at the moment if you're doing data size you don't need a scuba kit because it's so shallow anything you say based on the data needs to be taken with a huge huge pinch of salt but i think it's fair to say anthony that Salah, Kaku, and Ronaldo are the ones who people are homing in on. This week, anyway, I think that maybe kind of captures the hilarity of the situation yeah. a little bit too, doesn't it? Uh, but yeah, I think it's kind of inevitable, isn't it, that they're the ones that we're talking about. Salah, it's been a multi-year project at this point. Ronaldo, it's been a project over a decade in the making. And with Lukaku, I think it's just a classic case of just what we've discussed before. He is by far and away the clearest outlet in one of the best attacking teams in the league. The rest of the you know premiums that we may have discussed in the past, Bruno Fernandes, people seem to have definitely come to the conclusion that he is now um, basically cancelled because of Ronaldo. Kevin De Bruyne, except without the long shots. Well, this uh, <laughs> week it, didn't, it wasn't quite that way, and he was involved in the attacking build-up more than I think people expected him to be. I think people expected him to turn into kind of an arc number eight assister, and they've got Pogba for that. So of course he's part of the attack still, um, but he mm-hmm. was sacrificed by many, including me, um, mm-hmm. to get Ronaldo in. Yeah, Sadio Mane is kind of one of the premiums that we might discuss. Um, <laughs> the fact of the matter is that whilst he may have scored at the weekend, my word, the number of shots that he missed and just he had an XG of over two. It's like it's absolutely oh. ludicrous the amount of chances so, he missed. I was driving and I think, the wedding, but like I was listening to it on the radio. And I was like, oh, Mane's through again. Oh, he's missed again. And even the commentators were they lost their objectivity. It was like, if Mane scores, I think he's going to be really happy because he doesn't look very happy out there. And I watched the, the highlights just a minute ago before we did the pod. And wow, he was, yeah. But he was having one of those days where he, he just needed something to go in, anything to go in, didn't he? 
Yeah, and I guess he did get that eventually, but I don't think that's going to make us all rush to get him instead of Salah. That's certainly not going to happen. Or nor is that double as up. well. Oh, yeah, no, let's not talk about that. And uh, <laughs> then we've also got the two Spurs lads, you know, San and Kane, both 200 club members last year. San, of course, wasn't playing this week. Uh, Kane, on the other hand, then uh, is disappointed us. And I think the problem is that for Kane, he is now in the same bracket as Cristiano Ronaldo and Romelu Lukaku. And that right now, coupled with Spurs' underperformances and his own troubles, means that from an FPL perspective, uh, and it's egg in my face, he's just not looking like a runner right now. No, absolutely. But you had the fixtures there, um, but yes. it just hasn't seemed to have come <laughs> he, to fruition. He had the fixtures, he no longer has the fixtures, and that's just adding to the problem for him. Well, yeah. um, but you've got two free chances now. Um, but I, I mean... <sighs> In terms of this, I think what might be quite good is to look at a team that I put together, the freemium team that I put together. And actually, this is fairly painful for me because the team that um, you can see on YouTube, and I'll just describe in a second, that would have got me 80-plus points this week. Um, but I don't want to, as Sam uh, Pricey kind of astutely mentioned, like I don't want to be too myopic and just kind of think, oh, yeah, I messed up because on a one-week basis, obviously, this is absolutely trounced the team I actually came up with. But basically, for a little while last week, me and um, FPL Brain as well, and we were having a chat about, you know, our teams were both from Wildcard, and I was looking to go for a freemium for my team um, for a little while. I ultimately didn't go there. Um, but on Fix, you know, I've got a picture of that, a team draft, fantasyfootballfix.com, and I did that last week, um, which would have gotten me huge numbers. The team is basically, um, I would have had you know 4.5 in goal I think I ended up backman obviously and then uh, Jed Steer on the other side at the back could have been Trent Shaw Christensen Marcel um, I said I'm annoyed about Marcel because I had Cody in my actual team so I thought yeah you know leaving there would be fine um, but Marcel I noted last week that uh, in our slack that he'd had more kind of final third entries and he made he'd done more crosses than uh, than Samedo I really should have gone with that anyway um, so Trent Shaw Christensen Marcel and then a 4.0 kind of hanging around on the bench and Livramento. In midfield, you'd have Salah, Ben Rama, and then a 5.5 like Gray or Ducore, who did very well this evening. And I got Ducore, I had Ducore in this team. They did like a, a vintage Yago Torre, didn't he? Uh, absolutely incredible. And um, obviously, you, you rubbished the quotes last week, Anthony, about um, him changing position, but it seems to have done something to him anyway. Um, and uh, up front, Ronkaku. And Antonio, because obviously last week, Antonio was not banned. Um, so he, if I'd have said last week, I'm selling Antonio, you'd all think I was mad. Um, the bench obviously is a bit of a show. So 4.0 goalkeeper, two 4.5 million mids, and a 4.0 defender. Basically a 4-3-3. Three, three. Um, obviously, on a week like this one, with the big boys bang and the mid-price options bust, you're really in clover. Um, but now I decided against this because it felt to me it was essentially really unbalanced. Like The algo has been going with Salah captain anyway. So if I wasn't going to captain either of the strikers, I thought I could repurpose the cash from them and spread them out from my team. Like Principally, that's my midfield. I said earlier on, you know, I've got that trinity of Jota, Torres and Ben Rama. Jota and Torres particularly. Like it, it's, it's just so unfeasible that they'd have both blanked. Um, and oh, it's, it's, it's one of those where I, I thought there'd be value in that midfield to go that way and it just it just didn't happen this week um, but over the longer stretch of time I think that they will provide value and I thought that was better than going with Salah a 6 a 5.5 and two 4.5s and I guess you, you have to start making more sort of sacrifices as well so the team that I've just mentioned obviously there's, there's nothing in midfield so this week it's all going to come together for this sort of team where you've got the five 
5.5 is doing something. You know, if um, Ben Rahm is in there, obviously for legacy reasons, but if you move him out to somebody else, you know, like Conor Gallagher or something, suddenly you're, you know, absolutely laughing. Um, but I mean, with this team, Anthony, do you see any real weaknesses? Because I, I just think it, there's an idea of balance, isn't there, we always talk about? We do. Uh, to be honest, I see this team and I just I just feel regret for myself uh, more than anything for what I could have maybe done with my own wildcard team, but the way it didn't work out. I guess what's the standout thing about this is because you're keeping Trent Alexander-Arnold, something I wholeheartedly agree with, um, especially having sold him, it means that you're probably going to end up with a team that has two 4.5 or 5.0 mids. And indeed, that has happened with you, with mm-hmm. Gilmore and Alan. Now, I'm, I'm all for Alan, and I think Gilmore is as good a pick as any in there. But at the same time, it does kind of lead to this, you know, severe kind of... Yeah. <laughs> you know, the odds of you playing one of your 4.5 mids relatively regularly is pretty high. Yeah. Uh, you're also then reliant on a pretty cheap defense in general. Now, you've kind of managed to get around that by kind of like really kind of gutting what I would see as the fourth midfield or even you, know, you could call it the second midfield slot you know there's no 7.5 ish player in this at all like it's decore it's ben rama you know ben rama is the most is the second most expensive midfielder in this team and you've done that and in doing so you've treated the likes of christensen and shaw almost as your you know quote-unquote second midfielders or even martial yeah. and that that actually does make sense and i think that's something again to criticize my own wildcard i think that is something that should have been done um because the fact of the matter is is that someone like um, uh, Alexander Arnold. I know Christensen didn't play. That's unfortunate. But someone like Christensen, uh, the likes of Shaw and Martial, they have outlets that, to be perfectly honest with you, just some of the other midfielders can't make up with attacking returns because they have obviously the chance to get clean sheets and mm-hmm. in all of their sides, a relatively good chance of getting those clean sheets. Yeah. But of course, the real thing with this, and as you've alluded to, and I don't think this would be new to anybody, you are so highly reliant on individual players. So I have a team with the Threemium as well. Uh, now, the Threemium that I went with, unfortunately, was Lukaku, Kane, and Bruno Fernandes. And this is kind of... <laughs> doesn't make sense now, but it did two weeks ago, yeah, guys, yeah, I it's, swear. It's moving so quickly, um, isn't it? Where, yes. Yeah, you, 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 what, yes. What, what looks amazing last week? Now it looks a bit silly. Exactly. What I've definitely experienced with that is that you are so highly reliant on individual players. Yeah. For me, for example, in the two weeks that I've had, Kane and Lukaku, so I've had them for two game weeks, both have had their chances of doing well stunted by a red card to a teammate in one of the <laughs> two games. Like, you know, this, these are the types of things that happen. It's going to happen to every premium player throughout the season. And then, you know, someone like Salah just pops up, gets a penalty or whatever. And you're kind of left just kind of screaming in frustration in your head. That is the unfortunate thing that happens when you have to rely on individual players. But actually, your premium setup, funnily enough, Tom, doesn't look anywhere near as naked as other ones might. Because actually, you've just kind of embraced that. 5.5 midfield bracket the problem is you're one injury or one headache away from serious problems and as this squad even the one that you're that we're looking at or that you've described shows Christensen now a problem Antonio now a problem suddenly you are looking at by guarantee playing either Gilmore Livermento or Alan or taking a hit and that's like you know that's a problem Livermento away at Man City as well (laughs) so um I yeah no I agree with you and I think that you know obviously this week actually might be a little bit easier I know Nick for example spoilers was uh, considering mooting a wild card on our slack earlier on um, and uh, without having to you know, think about Antonio and how you fit him in which was one of the big issues last week again coming back to the idea that you know last week you know you're like a genius this week you're like a fool um, without Antonio now you can kind of make it a little bit okay so you can get one of those seven ish you can get a Torres in for example for Antonio 
maybe you'd be kind of really moving deck chairs around uh, to an extreme degree to be fitting in a greenwood or something like that but you can just about make it work um I mean, do you think we need at least one of the premium forwards, though, Anthony? I mean, you've obviously got Ronkaku and Nutmeg asked about them as well. I, no, I, I, w- I wish I had Ronkaku. I've... Oh, yeah, you haven't got Ronaldo, have you? Sorry. <laughs> I have Kakak. Yeah, the, the Kak bit is really the emphasis there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I do actually think that we need at least one premium forward. To be perfectly honest with you, if I was to advocate for a premium, it would be the premium that you actually have in the squad that we're looking at right now that you've described with Salah, uh, Ronaldo and Lukaku. That isn't, I hope, completely influenced by what has just occurred in the previous game week. I think there is kind of many compelling reasons for having those three uh, as your select uh, premiums. I certainly think you need at least one premium forward given the riches that we have there the riches to be perfectly honest with you are just one half of Ron Kaku honestly I as I say think two is probably the way to go well that's it I mean, we, we spoke of the aggressive strategy and playing aggressively and using the transfers in a kind of a flipped way you normally would so normally you'd say those premiums for me you know, they're locked you know, they're in place for me and FPL Corf he's got his little kind of uh, pyramid of needs and he's got loads of his premiums you know, stuck in the these guys not leaving my team so you flip the narrative over and say okay I want to create like a sustainable sort of you know a backup support cast and spend my transfers moving the the, the premiums around and we spoke about that a lot a couple of podcasts ago and ultimately I think you probably have all seen by now too that there is a route with the premium forwards that kind of works especially if I say to myself maybe because of the many years ago if you have listened for a long time you'd know that I once sold a Mo Salah we've put all the hatchery against Bournemouth I think that's probably scarred me a little bit so he to me feels very lucky and um, but the premium striker slot if you look at the fixtures put it all together it's all over social media and um, we've spoken about it too uh, but if you have Ronaldo from game week four to six Lukaku from game week seven, seven to eleven Kane from game week 12 to 14 and then Ronaldo again on from game 15 onwards you end up with a hell of a fixture run for that premium forward slot well into the next calendar year and the idea is that you tr- you kind of tie up your transfer priorities in that and make long-term focus purchases around that. And that's kind of what I was attempting to do with the strategy that I went with. So that's why I ultimately, I ultimately rejected the freemium um, this week. Obviously, I'm a bit regretful looking at this team in front of me or the team that I've just mentioned to you. But at the same time, ultimately, I'm not sure whether the sacrifices are worth it. There are a few sacrificial lambs, aren't there, Anthony? I mean, you mentioned, obviously, in that team with Antonio there, um, as it was last week, you had to look at, you know, removing that sort of 7 million kind of midfielder. And you are now, without Antonio, and just going with Roncaku up front, killing off that first striker slot, aren't you? You're ending up with Dane Scarlett. Uh, Captain Starlet do it on your bench, um, being a bit of a mister on, and you've got to trim the fat somewhere, haven't you? Um, we said we said it in past pods. You know, we said you know Trent might be the one who gets overlooked a little bit. Um, there's, obviously, no team is perfect, but there's always going to be a weakness, isn't there? Yeah, there is. So I think if you're going for the premium, one of the ways you can do it is the way that. I guess the the draft that we've just discussed, and we, I think that's probably where we'll start. And that is by basically gutting the sides of the midfield. So, forego the chance to have your Jotas, and you'll be lucky to do so. Uh, forego the chance to have the likes of Ferran Torres or uh, Mason Greenwood, and instead move straight to your Decores, your Greys, your Ben Ramas, whoever it might be. Uh, and that does work to some extent, and that allows you to have somebody like um, Trent Alexander-Arnold in your side, of course. Yeah, and I think yeah. otherwise. 
it is Pierre himself who is in line to be one of those sacrificial lambs. Oh. And that in and of itself is I and as someone who did it, guys, just don't do it. Just don't do it. It's it's not a good idea. So I think they are kind of the the classic cases where really you're going to be looking at the sacrificial lambs. It's it's elite defenders and kind of the upper mid price midfielders, for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah, I mean, no team is perfect, of course, as I mentioned earlier, but this might be said to be imperfect by design, which is why I was a little bit put off going with it. I mean, as I said, ultimately, if I'd gone with it, I'd be happy as Larry right now and extolling my sense of genius. Uh, but the reality is that it's actually quite difficult to get that you right. You would, but I guess the fact of the matter is, Tom, is that, for example, and I know it's we don't want to live in the woods and coulds and should haves, but the fact of the matter is that you had multiple good outlets there in teams that had good underlying numbers this weekend yeah, in Torres yeah. and in Jota. You know, a goal from either of those, to be perfectly honest with you, and you're looking at, eh, it's a muchness of muchness, better set up for the future, la-di-da. You know, it's, it's kind of one of these kind of just, as you say, Tom, unfortunate things. I'm not going in on you with it. It's just like that's kind of unfortunately the way kind of the outcome bias kind of hits yeah, us well, when it comes absolutely. to FPL yeah, absolutely. and absolutely. yeah you, you, after what you I think in the first kind of little while you get swept away by that don't you whereas now I kind of look at it and just think well you know watch the, if you watch match of the day or if you watch the games this week obviously I couldn't because I was away but if you if you just watch that and you kind of see okay I've made good picks here it's just not quite ironed out that I wanted to which is fine um I think the whole team is there um but in terms of a freemium model Anthony is there a future with it? Because obviously, in the short term, have you gone that way? Or you know, I've guessed people who are popping the wild card this week are looking to go that way. Do we think that that's going to be something which we're going to see more and more? Because like off the weekend gone, as we've spoken about a little bit, and obviously as Sam FPL Pricey pointed out, you know, well, the assets were quieter, and it was a perfect storm for this sort of setup to work out. And the enablers like Gray, like Marcel, backed up all three of the premiums doing something. And it feels like a very kind of short termy thing to me. I think the key question here, as I touched on earlier, is balance. I think we fetishize this a lot when we come to think about our teams. But I mean, do, do you think we should care about balance, actually, Anthony? Because What's wrong with a lopsided team? We do it all the time during the season once our wild cards gone and we were modeling through. Like, I was so tempted to freemium it, I just kind of didn't do it. And um, same, uh, same with FPL Brain in the end. Um, but I guess you can always kind of come down from it. It's just you're either going to be selling Ronaldo, selling Lukaku, or selling Salah. Deciding who to shoot is really difficult. So having that sort of flexibility in the team that I've got, where I've got one premium forward or two premiums, feels a lot better than the freemium where you, you it's, it's quite constricting, isn't it? I guess that's kind of why I ended up ultimately not going with it. There's obviously the other argument, which is the fact that if you buy, if you have all three of the premiums, then it makes sure you make sure that you have a ticket to the lottery, uh, no matter what, with those premiums, and you can captain them. And obviously, if you get that right, the gain that you get is compounded, especially if one of the others uh, goes well. And of course, this week again being the classic example of a week where it would have if you had Lukaku, yeah. Ronaldo, and perfect Salah on your side. Just a perfect, perfect storm, yeah. This is it. But the thing is, is that, for example, my premium, and I think it's it's worth just, you know, focusing on what happened with my side for a second. The fact of the matter is, OK, if I had Ronaldo instead of Kane, um, Fernandes and Salah had very little difference between them this week. So that's not a bit immaterial this week. The fact of the matter is, is that my week was good because of, as you say, a different perfect storm, but a perfect storm, nevertheless, of Sufal, Cody and White getting clean sheets. 
Like, how frequently am I going to be able to rely on my bargain basement defenders to supplement my premiums to such a degree that I do well? Like, that in and of itself is very unusual. And I think this is where the idea of balance comes into things because, sure, this was a week where lightning struck and quite a lot of our enablers in various parts of the field, defense and midfield alike, combined and did well and propelled teams forward. If it was a week like um, uh, game week three, you'll find that if you had the right premiums for that week, look at my results or go back to the last pod, uh, you'll find that just didn't work out at all. And it was actually the um, the sideshow players that in the end I didn't have had propelled the, you know, the average to a pretty decent score. And this is this is kind of the problem that comes in week by week analysis of FPL that you kind of have to iron out over time. And of course, it's impossible to tell the future. But I do think that a freemium model can succeed. The problem is that so much of your success hinges on the success of the enablers that you put around those premiums. And of course, yeah. we, we talked about them last week. We'll probably talk about them again in <laughs> listeners' questions yeah. and answers later. And this is, I guess, the arc that we discussed, Tom, that you know we've constantly been talking about the premiums, but of course, then there is the other people in the squad that we need to talk about too. It's that flexibility, I think, isn't it? Like you just yeah. don't have that flexibility. And it's not quite happened yet. Obviously, it's happened with Antonio and Sven Rama to some extent. But there will be a, a mid-price midfielder around 7-ish, 7.5, something like that. He will catch fire. And if you're in the premium setup, you end up it's having gonna, to make hard it, choices. It's, it's, it's so, so likely to be Torres, I think. Oh, I hope so. I really hope so. That's the first reason he's there. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, you look at it and kind of think, well, actually, it's a good question from, there's a question from Sean McCall where I thought it was worth just throwing in. Yes. He asked us to suggest what, which premiums are easiest to cover and with whom. Um, and I think that obviously for Antores as a KDB, I mean, KDB, I think now probably is quite far off the radar as being a, a premium kind of competitor. Maybe he will again contend in the future, but obviously the injury record and everything else going on at City, which again we'll talk about in a little bit, um, especially in correspondence actually, um, maybe condemns him. But overall, I, I, I know we speak about cover and that's a, probably a whole separate discussion because we're not going to go into like the whole kind of ethics of cover and how it all kind of fits together. Uh, but I think with with covering players, Anthony, like how do you look at that? Do you look at it in as being kind of I need to get you know, to foil this guy? Are you happy to kind of just go without and back your own players to to make the difference there? I think it's the easiest thing to look at this is really rather than you know considering the ethics of covering or whatever, you instead you just need to kind of take them all on a case by case basis of who can cover who or is it even possible. The risk with my wildcard that I took was that I hoped that Jota could in some way, by some miracle, cover Salah. And if you are to look at the underlying statistics, for example, you'll find that in terms of non-pen XG, and I do say non-pen because of course Salah has been supplemented by one pen, yep. uh, Jota and Salah, it's the difference of 0.5. The problem is, is that Salah with 1.76 has managed to get an awful lot more goals than Jota with his 1.25. Um, Salah actually interestingly as well his non-pen XG is of 1.76 for the season is supplemented severely by 1.05 of that coming against Leeds uh, up until now he hasn't actually been all that interesting from open play but he doesn't need to he seems to always find a way and in terms of XA just for what it's worth as well Jota ahead of Salah but 1.43 of that 1.62 that he has came against Leeds. So again, one game, what we're talking about here is such small time horizons that we can't get over-focused on things. Yeah. The fact of the matter is that Jota has proven himself too profligate and Salah has proven himself too consistent to be covered. Uh, looking through the rest of them, 
Uh, we do you talked about there very, very briefly De Bruyne and you could throw in Raheem Sterling into this. Ferran Torres or perhaps Grealish have both shown themselves to be more than capable of doing yeah. it. Torres has done it in terms of returns. Grealish is doing it in terms of expected returns. It just hasn't quite happened yet for him. Uh, Ronaldo, it's actually, I think, too soon to tell for sure. But right now, the indications are quite good that he can't be covered by someone like Greenwood. And I think he'd be very foolhardy (laughs) to do that, given his ownership anyway. You know, this is the fact of the matter is that we don't know how, for example, the Champions League will impact upon him. But the fact of the matter is that Solskjaer has proven himself willing to overplay talent, even if it's older talent. So I, I don't necessarily think that's an issue. Freddie Woodman was very, very obliging to Ronaldo at the weekend to help him get his praise. (laughs) Yeah, he was. And like the fact of the matter is that Ronaldo had two shots on target. Both of those went in. He had two shots with an XG over 0.2. Both of those found their way in. And both of those found their way in, thanks to the goalkeeper, to some extent at least. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that Ronaldo, by comparison to Bruno, uh, it's it's hard to say. You can't say, you know, he very yeah, much this... covers Bruno. This is the thing, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, is that yeah, like yeah. Bruno didn't actually get much chances. I know you were saying he was very involved in play. Of course he was going to be involved in play, though. This kind of... Yeah, some it, people it, seem it to think a, that... It was a hockey kind of... A, yeah, it was, it yeah, was making but... it happen, wasn't it? Rather than it, it, being at the end of things, which I think is what people were looking for last year. But, you know, I agree yes. with the, the, whole, the whole ethos that he's suddenly and going to become like a decrepit sort of, you know, sideline. People seem to think silly. that he was... People seem to think that he was going to be set on the mission to Mars in a few years. Like that's the way people seem to be talking about him, as if he was going to disappear from the face of the Premier League. <laughs> and like that was like absolutely ridiculous. That said, the fact that Bruno returned does not necessarily mean that he is like going to continue his ultra consistent play that we've seen over th- mm. over the last few years since he came into the Premier League. The fact of the matter is, and like we'll just break down his goal that he scored into like minute detail. He had no none of his shots at an XG worth talking about. He receives the ball 30 yards out, side on to goal. He takes a touch to control the ball. He then gets a chance to touch that ball ahead of himself two to three yards to tee up a shot and then gets to shoot himself. And by the time he has taken all those touches, there is still no Newcastle player within five yards of him. It's unforgivable defending that was punished. Yeah. And so the fact of the matter is that he scored that doesn't necessarily indicate that he's going to be you know, consistently banging them in week in, week yeah. out. Very few defences will allow him to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's cannibalisation, isn't it? I think with Lukaku, as you said earlier on, we were in a situation where you've got an anointed, clear and obvious talisman yeah. for a team who are going to be challenging for the top two. So yeah. that is one where I'll, you know, once there is, there is no in, clear cover. There is no clear cover. Absolutely. It's like if you're, it's are, you Mount? are you buying like, you know, like Pulisic or something like that? Maybe they'll have their moments, but no but at, way. But at best, the argument for all of those players is, to some extent at least, that they will assist Lukaku. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. And yeah. then you're looking at, you know, with Spurs, you've got Son and Kane. I think actually it's not so much a question of cover. It's more so a question of the kind of ancillary parts of FPL, which are obviously the fixtures and effects of ownership and how that looks. And, you know, at the moment, for example, if you have Kane and Kane blows up, then you're going to be... As, as, as you, you were hoping for this weekend happening against Crystal Palace if you have Kane and he blows up then you are in a really good spot because EO is so low you know people aren't thinking about covering Kane in any way shape or form they're not thinking oh I've got to get Son in because Kane obviously Son's injured but you know, in, a, in a vacuum they're not thinking oh, I've got to get Son in because Kane's got a good fixture um, and a lot of it is kind of just you know responding to dynamic as it opens up in front of you and I think that maybe we can link this again to the kind of the main question should we look to own free premiums at the moment obviously because there are premiums all over the shop 
performing, especially Lukaku, especially Ronaldo in his first game back, and especially Salah consistently, the freemium model is becoming more and more prevalent. I'm sure a lot of game week four wildcards will go that way. I think we will see people kind of showing up with those and kind of just hoping the likes of Jota, the likes of Torres, the likes of Green will just go away and never really exist. I'm still, and I would say this because I've just wildcarded into it, and be interested to see what you think, Anthony, because you have got a freemium. For me, I'm still kind of thinking that this sort of aggressive, you know, move the premiums around to suit the fixture strategy is going to be workable and, you know, come back to me in game week 15 if it's all gone off the cliff and maybe in game week like 11 or 12 and I'm meant to get rid of Lukaku and he's kept scoring. Yeah, that, that's something that quite challenges an FPL manager because we we're all used to kind of just keeping faith rather than lurching around a lot. But I still think that's a decent sort of way of looking at it. I still think two premiums is the way to kind of make your team look more balanced. But I mean, Anthony, is balance just a bit of a misnomer? Like, is it something that we kind of look at and you know, on social media people say, oh, what about this? What about that? And you can think, okay, well, I'm going to make more balance. Should we really care about that? It's a bit of a frustrating one because, like, whilst I wouldn't say that my team is totally imbalanced, I still have a defense which is, you know, barely cost me anything. So I guess it is imbalanced in one sense or another. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is, I feel that right now, we talked about that aggressive strategy a few weeks ago. That was, you know, uh, how would you call it like a B or before Ronaldo we discussed that I think things have kind of changed BC would have been much easier wouldn't it be before Cristiano the the fact of the matter is is that things have kind of changed again it feels like Lukaku has kind of settled into the side Chelsea's fixtures are now turning so it means that he's you know kind of comfortably going to sit into our side the, the Spurs game is nothing to fear okay. the City game is there the, the fixtures are switched uh, Salah has been consistently tipping along so nicely that everything that we've learned in previous seasons seems to still apply and Ronaldo then is kind of now suddenly kind of sucking the life out of United's attack it seems and so that means that he's going to get everything and that's that's great for him I'm not sure if that's actually going to be great long term for this season for Manchester United I think it'll help them beat lower sides I'm not sure it'll help them beat bigger teams and I don't think it'll win them the Champions League but you know at the at the same time it does seem like the three premiums can work but that is contingent on the fact that some of that supporting cast that you are relying on right now do go well and that the players who kind of occupy the eight-ish million bracket, and I'm going to just, you know, mention the likes of Bamford, the likes of Ings, the likes of Grealish, uh, don't continue to fire, or the idea that Liverpool's double defence doesn't suddenly look so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, alluring that you'd feel the need to get in on that, or the fact that, you know, if there's three defences are starting to go really well at the same time, let's just pick just out of the air, the Chelsea one, the City one, and the Liverpool one, and suddenly it seems like a massive bay at the back is worth going the premium model can't work then, but just as it is right now in the current for in the current uh, climate that we seem to be existing in, and with the current fixture sets that we seem to have, it does seem like three premiums is an option. Yeah, it's always an option. Obviously, we're never going to prescribe a way yes. of playing. I'm going to give you uh, your fishing rods. I'm not going to feed you your fish. Um, but at the end of the day, I, th- I think it is interesting. I think it's definitely one of those things. And you know, there's a few kind of obvious tangents that we could have gone into. Oh, I'm not going to captain him. So why would I pay that much for him? Is one of the tangents we could have gone into. Like this, this. Sorry, like Tom. I know you don't want to go down into the tangent, but like, don't get too caught up in the if you're not going to captain him stuff. Yeah, because rubbish, you know, it? It, I, I think it is. Yeah, exactly. I do think it is rubbish because the fact of the matter is it's about getting points and if you feel like that that's if you feel like you know uh, Salah plus uh, a Ducure is better than having you know two players of around seven you know a Jota plus a Torres then, then do that like it's not about who you can captain or who you can't captain 
Exactly. I, I think it'd be really, it's really interesting. And again, kind of folding back, I guess, to the pod we did kind of two or three pods to go. I think what's really fascinating is the way that we've now got loads of open avenues to how you set up your team, or tactics that an individual man- manager may be using. Um, I ignore social media a little bit because it's all they were looking for like a, a, a herd mentality sort of a way that we can everyone corral together. Um, but I've, I'm just hoping that, you know, individual strategies and the way in which you can set your team up be it a freemium, be it with, you know, an aggressive kind of moving the premium round strategy. And um, I'm hoping there'll be differentiation. Last year obviously was not uh, a year which welcomed that. Um, but all in all, really interesting sort of discussion um, on the freemium idea. Will it become a thing? Will everyone in the FPL community have a freemium? Well, we'll see. Maybe we'll see a Bamford, as Bamford mentioned, or a, a Ferran Torres coming through. Too many premiums in disguise in the lower ranks, and then suddenly this is all going to fall apart. Exactly. Right, let's take a break there, and we'll be uh, back with you uh, for the correspondence to stop this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? All right, so we're back, and um, as you can probably hear, my voice is beginning to fail a little bit. Um, too much shouting, Mr. Brightside. Yes, or I'm a, I'm a millennial. This is what we do at weddings. And too much shouting over loud bar noises on Friday night. Um, and last night, shouting um, uh, at Nick, basically, because we were having a chat in a very, very loud bar on Sunday night. Who goes on a Sunday night in London, people? Apparently me. But moving on to the correspondence now, Anthony, your favourite part of the podcast. And uh, it was a bit of an unconventional one uh, this week, wasn't it? Yeah, yes, indeed, Tom. The correspondence section is, of course, your chance to send in your long-form questions, your addendums to previous pods, or your just long-form thoughts on FPL to usually who got the assist at gmail.com. However, this week's correspondence came from Sean McCall, and it came via Twitter DM to the WGTA Twitter account. And Sean, who you'll find on Twitter, at McCollio09, uh, basically asked us about pep roulette and the extent to which we can opt out of it. And this question was not of what personnel to get and more so the mental gymnastics required to make peace with the decision to opt in with a player and enjoy what you get and accept the pain of rotation versus just ignoring City totally in favour of other teams' big hitters or their mid-priced options. But while we're at it, since we've got so many questions on this, we'll kind of toss in more personnel-related questions too. So we have one from FPL Elf, and he's asking with the fact that City have now had nine different goal scorers in four games, is it just worth ignoring them altogether? Or is it worth chasing that upside with Pep being consistent in his selection so far by going after the likes of Grealish and Torres, who are their only assets that have over 7% ownership? And we also have a question from Jimmy the Claret, who was basically asking about the viability of Jesus. So that kind of brings us, you know, right around to the whole kind of question of what the hell to do with Pepperlet more generally and whether it's better to love than to never live at all. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a WTA question. So I'm guessing most people are going to be focused on you know, the freemium thing, which we've already spoken about. But this is more kind of future gazing because obviously, you know, in the near term, um, obviously they've got a decent one next. Um, which uh, against Southampton, then they've got Chelsea and Liverpool away um, consistently uh, in game week six and seven. Uh, before things, things kind of get better, uh, eight to 10, 11, they've got Man United, 12, they've got Everton, um, but they run to a nice group of fixtures from late November onwards. And so this can definitely be something that we look into a little bit more then. Um, first thing to do is to point you in the direction of F- at Jump the Wave and that FPL Meta on Twitter. They do their own lineup work, uh, which is well worth looking at if you want to check out how the predictions of learned individuals, i.e. City fans um, and other sort of respective sources go down in terms of how it works. Um, but here on the psychological side of it, as Anthony just mentioned, I think for me it comes down to risk appetite. 
um, the usual heft of pet roulette pokes at risk versus reward. It's basically gambling, isn't it? Unless we have a KDB character on the Rampage or Kunaguero in a purple patch, it's hard to know what to make of City. I think that that's kind of, that, that's fine to say if we did have all the answers, in hindsight, we'd have 2020 vision and then some. We know their defence is always great. The last three seasons, they've kept an average of 19 clean sheets per season. Rounded up. Um, so yeah, in half of their games, you're expecting Edson or you know, the likes of Diaz at the back to get those clean sheet points. City defenders, therefore, it could be said, have an expected baseline return of 114 points if they get a six and a half the games times 19, plus the rest, of course. It's expensive, though, and it's a cruel binary because it's either a six or a two with Edison. There's no in-between. Um, he's very unlikely to make a save. He could make an, get an assist or something, could even score a goal if that penalty ever happens, but um, that is probably not, not very likely. So you're looking, looking at a six or a two from Diaz to you know, six million, but that's what you're looking at. But midfield and up front is where the glamour lies, isn't it? Eight to nine expected goals per season average over the last three. On paper, you want a piece of that as a manager. But which piece? That's really important, isn't it? Like, there's very few guarantees, I think, outside of an injury-free KDB or an Aguero sort of type for an FPL manager, judging by City's performances. I come back to risk appetite again, I think. It's about balancing the investment I want to make in terms of team, in terms of that team, knowing the risks that the player may not play. And for me, that means I limit the amount of money I'm willing to invest in a risky play. And I'm also limiting the amount of slots I'm willing to assign to City, which is probably going to be two. One will be a defensive slot. And I'm sure Diaz, for example, will grace my team at some point. I've got Torres, who we mentioned earlier on at the moment. I'd only realistically consider him and Grealish at the moment because of their price. Um, I think Grealish is you know, getting towards the upper end of that eight. I know Jimmy um, FL Claret mentioned Jesus and um, top 10, actually, for XGI this season so far, Jesus. But I feel that 8.6, that investment is too much for a reverse opposition or a poo attacker. As I said last week on Torres, it's about potential and what he could do if he's City's number nine and being given time to acclimatise that role. And Grealish-wise, you know, he's actually second for chance grade so far this season. Could he potentially be being given more time uh, to play and acclimatise to Pep's demands? Said the rub potential there a lot, and perhaps as a biggie with Pep Roulette. You'll always get yeah butted on Twitter. Yeah, is he nailed though? Of course he's not. But you're hoping that if you get a game where things do kick off, there's multiple goals that we saw against the Arsenal, that your man's involved in that. And we've also touched on talisman theory here. With Chelsea, you've got Lukaku kind of character who's there. But there's no discernible sort of alternative. Whereas last year, KB was injured. So he was the main talisman the year before. And they had lots of point scorers in terms of attacking points in the top 20. But it's very tough to pinpoint the man to have. So with City, you're looking at context and basically hoping to get lucky. Can you avoid it? Yeah. At the price, you've got to say, you know, a Rafinha for a Torres or a Mount or something for a Grealish. Um, they'll kind of do the same job pretty much. The kicker here, I think, Anthony, is EO. So if there comes a time when, say, Torres is number nine, he's scoring every week and he's started at 7.0 or Grealish is assisting for fun, uh, there's a good run of fixtures to come, you know, game with 12 onwards, maybe you'd be looking at Edison or Diaz. Edison was the highest scoring assist defender last year, then it may well be time. But at the moment, because people aren't rushing on City and uh, as Elf mentions, only Grealish and Torres have ownership above 7%, then... At the moment, you may be looking at the expected minutes of these players and thinking, oh, actually, the alternatives are better. That's kind of the way I look at it anyway. But it's very kind of situational how you look at City. 
think that analysis is it's hard to argue with an awful lot of that, except for the fact that I do think that a city attacker is, and, and I guess you've done this, Tom, so you're kind of arguing against yourself in some senses. I do feel like a city attacker is advisable to have uh, in your side, and Torres is right now the the clear and obvious choice. And that isn't just because of the fact that he has you know scored a lot so far. It's as much down to the fact that just the underlying statistics point towards him as well. If you look at XG, for example, or just shots in the box, he is City's um, most dangerous player so far. 10 shots in the box, 2.15 XG. And he also has, by and large, had relatively guaranteed minutes so far, 305 minutes. Grealish, it should be worth noted, or it should be noted, has had 345 minutes, though, which is, you know, as far as their decent play, uh, attacking players go in terms of underlying numbers, right up there. Um, interestingly, actually, and I want to point out with the underlying stats here, is Raheem Sterling. So he's only got one goal so far. He's only played 157 minutes so far. But actually, as far as City attackers go... He has a 1.39 XG, which is actually the second best in that squad, the same as Jack Grealish. But, you know, I think the one thing with Sterling is that he seems to have adapted, you know, far more to the, no surprise here, he has, he is more adapted to how Pep's uh, play style kind of operates. And so he has kind of done better out of it, maybe so far, than Grealish has. You know, Grealish has obviously got one goal, but the nature of that goal means that you can't really draw a huge amount of confidence for his goal scoring chances in the City team. But that will come. Seven shots in the box so far, it'll come. The thing as well with Jesus, and maybe this is kind of getting at Jimmy's question, Jesus has had just four shots in spite of the fact that he's had pretty good minutes playing over there on the wing in that position. The So the fact of the matter is, as well as Tom, you, you cited his pretty good XGI. The vast majority of that kind of unusually comes from XA, 1.91 XA, uh, which is leading the City team, which is kind of just unexpected, you know, with so many great creative players, the idea that Gabriel yeah. Jesus is the best attacking outlet so far. It one hints at the variance of early season and the fact that we've just have four game weeks to work off, but also hints at the fact that Jesus is playing a much more peripheral role, hanging onto the touchline an awful lot more than he is getting into the box now. Remember, just four shots. Um, yeah. But what is quite interesting when you look at these stats, Grealish, pretty high up for them in terms of uh, XG, as I said, second in the squad. Grealish is right up there as well in terms of XA, 1.26. But what's interesting about this, and I think what this hints at is the fact that Grealish still has much more adapting to do. He has more attempted assists than any City player, 13. But just one of those has translated into a big chance created so far. And I think, you know, if you compare this to Riyad Mahrez, who has had much more limited minutes, five attempted assists, three of those um, resulting in a big chance created. He's just not finding himself, you know, giving the cutback the classic City cutback, city as much goal, as yeah. other players do. Yeah, the City goal. And I think that will come for Grealish. And so he is good in terms of both XG and XA right now, but it just hasn't quite come together. And I think it will come together for him. So with that in mind, Torres, in spite of the fact that he has a very minuscule XA, 0.04, he did manage to get an assist from that, hilariously the same as Grealish. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that he is at least in a very good position. He doesn't represent a huge investment for you, but he does have a very, very high seeding. City has scored five times in two of their four games so far. I know it's a very small sample size, but we all know that they can do that to anyone. And I think by the time we get around to the Burnley game in game week eight after the Chelsea and Liverpool games, I suspect everyone will be looking towards him, especially if he manages to find the net in any of the next three games, especially if he finds the net, I guess, against Liverpool as recency bias drives everyone towards him. Yeah, absolutely. I think I again return to that risk appetite idea that you've got to make the risk that you're taking commensurate with the price that you're paying. And for Torres, that works in the Goldilocks zone effectively. 7.2, I think he is now. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
if he is the nailed number nine, I think I spoke last week about Pep's pet project. If he is the number nine who's been given time to do it, didn't sign any number nine, Harry Kane is still at Spurs, um, then you end up with effectively City striker being it's a seven million midfielder. Like, yeah, that's pretty it's, gambit, it's, isn't it? That's a premium in disguise, a premium and a half, if anything, in disguise. So, yeah, there's a really good option there. Just we haven't mentioned, you mentioned them, but I didn't mention them. City defenders, very good options there. Laporte has definitely hoovered up poor old Diaz's goal chances. Uh, he's had the um, second highest in terms of shots in the box in the City yeah. team so far. So just ahead, just behind Torres to a 10 is Laporte with eight. Um, now, those haven't added up to much of an XG, so 0.36, but that's just corners for you in it. And yeah, you know, the, the, the goals will come, but will the minutes keep coming? That's the question with Laporte. You know, John Stones and that doctor injury, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, safe to say um, that it's all conceptual, all situational. Um, we can see how this season unfolds because last year Pep reinvented the four-four-two to make things work out. Will he do that this year? Will things change with Fran Torres now being number nine, or will he revert to a false nine situation? Everyone's saying, uh, everyone, but a lot of people are saying, you know, well, Torres's minutes are going to be limited because Phil Foden and KDB are coming back, which kind of makes me think. The mental gymnastics are being done already to talk yourself out of a player. Um, I'm not sure anyone would have ever said uh, that Phil Foden therefore means that, you know, the striker can't play. Um, I think it'd be interesting to see what they do with Torres just because it sounds like, you know, Pep's got, um, as Sam Lee said in the episode of a podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, that he's better in the box and Pep identified that and he's retraining him as number nine without there being a real heir to him Jesus being shoved out on the wing like are we really saying that Foden and KDB are going to come in and take over that slot I know Pep's played Fabregas as number nine before but I just can't see that happening yeah I don't want to dig into the the weeds too much of City's tactical plans and how they're going to play throughout this season or anything but I think one thing that we can all I think anyway accept has been an issue for City as it has as has pertained to their advancement in the Champions League and trying to get you know right over the line there is trying to find a system that actually you know has a focal point up front in the middle in the end and kind of the humming and hawing that has happened over Aguero and all the different midfielders and things has definitely been to their detriment. They were clearly trying to address that this summer yeah. with all the talks that they had to try and get a striker. Torres is now their best chance of doing that short of signing somebody in the January transfer window I wouldn't yeah. rule it out but if they are taking that project seriously and are trying to develop a focal point then I think you need to develop Ferran Torres in big games and small games alike while you have the chance to do so or else start to develop someone else in that role or just buy someone in January Yeah, potential that's all it is potential and bearing on what we said about risk management how much risk you're willing to take are you going to sit there and kind of go okay I'm going to have Torres and have Grealish and Defender. I can understand having the Defender and one of those two. If you have all three, you know, you can you can need a strong bench effectively. Um, but yeah, no, really interesting. Um, thank very much. Thanks very much to Sean for that uh, DM. And uh, obviously thanks to Elf and uh, Clara FPL as well, because really good questions and they all kind of feed in together. But obviously the big question this week to move on to the listeners' questions uh, is uh, obviously wherefore art thou Antonio? What do we do with this guy? Three double-digit returns in a row and a red card. Buy, sell, hold. What do we do? So Ryan, FPL8, Egan asks, what do we do? He can't afford Bamford, he says. Uh, whereas friends of the pub, uh, Rob Pick and Benny Blanco, uh, come in as a two-for-one deal and say, yes, they can, but should they? 
at FPL Locked in asks if now's the time to sell and could even Ben Rama be in for the chop? And a friend of the pod, Adam Pritchard, puts it really well, actually. Um, he asks if a red card for Antonio is a blessing in disguise in terms of being a good excuse for us to sell on Antonio as of the onset of the European competitions. He also asks again if the likes of Ben Rama are also vulnerable. Uh, let's do Antonio first, Anthony, and then move on to West Ham a bit more widely later because obviously you and Ben Rama have got a bit of a checkered history. Um, mm-hmm. But Antonio-wise, I mean... I really liked Adam's question about it because it gets to the crux of the matter. Uh, yeah. We know he's dominating the emergent stats, which we're not going to go into because what's the point? Three game week worth, four games worth. Is there a case to remove? Well, data's not going to help. Remember in the behavioral science pod as well, we spoke about framing and narrative bias. Like some of the data I've seen to support an Antonio's sale based off of the four weeks is outrageously misleading. I mean, you, you, you all know what I'm implying. Just find out on Twitter. And that's just creating a narrative propped up on dodgy cherry pick numbers. No, no, no. That's not the way to go. And so I think the qualitative mm-hmm. side of things is where you need to look at with Antonio. I mean, sure, they signed Vlasic, um, but they didn't get that second centre forward in. Even Everton got Rondon. And it'll be interesting to see who ends up playing that role in the UEL. Obviously, this week, we're going to be Antonio, isn't it? Because he's suspended for the weekend. But overall, we're not going to see rotation with him, but we're going to see managed minutes, I think, with him. I think his expected minute minute count might be cut by a fair amount. You'll be looking at 60, 70 minutes per game. Obviously, he misses United, which that's a game I'm not really too upset he's going to be missing as a shore owner. Then he's back for Leeds and Brentford. Anthony mentioned earlier that Leeds are not particularly performing well at the back. And they conceded the most shots on target of any team and the second highest expected goal is conceded so far this season. Most of that is Sadio Mane, let's be fair. Um, but Brentford, um, you know, a lot more resilient actually. Now they conceded their first goal this weekend. Now I'm personally, and we'll get on to some transfers and captains, very torn between leaving him and playing Dennis um, this weekend and hope he doesn't fool me against Norwich or taking a minus four to move him out to Bamford. Um, we'll speak about Leeds in a minute, but obviously Rob and Benny Blanco asked about him. I mean, minus four for me, actually, I'm off, I'm off my wild card. But, you know, it's not they all got to react to what's in front of me. Um, what do you think about Antonio, Anthony? Do you have any, you've got your two free transfers. Is that mini wild card going to include getting rid of Big Michy? It wasn't really the thing that was tempting me because the fact of the matter is that just, you know, say in an alternative universe, he doesn't lose his head and he doesn't get sent off. We'd all be saying hold for the United game because he plays Leeds and Leeds have yeah, been poor absolutely. defensively and everything that goes with it so far. And I feel like that point about Leeds kind of still stands. Like, are we really going to get all that excited about you know him going off and playing the Europa League in Croatia against Dinamo Zagreb? And then whether like he's obviously going to come straight back into the side when he comes in. Like it feels like we're trying to sell a player who is in extremely good form just based on the chance that we, you know, because basically of the situation that's occurred, and I guess this is what you're saying, how Adam has really got to the crux of the question, uh, or the crux of the issue with his particular question on this. And so I just feel he's just not worth selling. Like, at the, yeah, we, we and maybe I'm kind of bringing in some of the questions on Ben Rama for a second here with this, and that, you know, it's the fact of the matter is that now isn't the time to sell Ben Rama either, because in Antonio's absence, you know, he might get something against United. Like that United defence is not, isn't impregnable by any means. They were actually quite 
quite vulnerable because they basically have no midfield anymore. Uh, so that pretty, you know, it's it's almost the problem that Juventus had uh, last season uh, when they had Ronaldo that they kind of had to try and fit him, fit in other these big other attackers, and then suddenly it's someone like Paul Pogba as your defensive midfield and just non-existent at times, and the likes of Sam Maximan, or in this case Ben Rama can break through and do well against it. So with that in mind, you're kind of like, okay, do you just keep? Antonio for a pretty good fixture away to Leeds like being going to Ellen Road didn't have any problem for Liverpool and I'm not convinced it should have a problem for this West Ham side either if you buy into their form I didn't really buy into the fact that they were as good as they were but the fact of the matter is is that Antonio when he's playing when he isn't injured and this isn't an injury he is relatively consistent as an FPL performer and from that perspective I just feel like it would be a little bit rash to remove him as it stands from my side. I don't I do understand why people might be trying to get rid of him to finance moves to, you know, get the premiums in, for example. But mm. it just feels like he's going to be quite out of reach now. Uh, he's he's 7.9 right now. He'll probably fall to 7.8, maybe even 7.7. But he's still going to feel very, very out of reach for you if you sell him from now, especially if you go into a premium setup. And this is part of the reason why I'm loath to do it, because once I do that, I probably get Trent in. And that's probably the end of my time having Antonio in my side. And sure. just that Leeds game in itself is too appetizing. I know the problem is that if you keep him for Leeds, you have him for Brentford and you probably keep him for uh, Everton. And then you're like, mm, but Tottenham aren't good. And you end up keeping him all the way through this whole entire run whilst he's off playing Genk and Rapid Vienna as well. And you're wondering whether it was worth doing it in the first place. And maybe then bailing was the way to go. But right now I'm inclined to keep him purely because of that Leeds game. I'm right behind you. And obviously these questions were taken before tonight's events. So Benny Blanco said, mentioned DCL um, as a potential buy-in for Antonio. But obviously now DCL as well has broken his toe. He's getting a DLC toe. <laughs> and if you're a manager who has both Antonio and Calvert-Lewin, Anthony, I'm guessing you'd be kind of saying to people, yeah, well, obviously wait for the news. Um, but I'm imagining that Calvert-Lewin is probably the sell and Antonio is probably the hold if you're in mm-hmm. that situation where a lot of people actually are in that situation by the looks of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'd be inclined to agree with that. I just feel like in general, West Ham have seemed an awful lot more on it than, West, than Everton have so far, even though Everton's yeah. results have obviously been quite good. The fact of the matter is with Everton as well is that there's a pretty ready-made replacement in there in Rondon who we've seen Benitez do quite well with in the past. And I think that will kind of become a factor in just, you know, you yeah. will be joining DCL in parading the skies, trying to head all those crosses that are being shot in. And I just feel like that's going to hamper him just a little bit yeah. and just won't make him as tempting. And we've talked about the difficulties of an 8.0-ish bracketed player in all through this pod. And I think that's what's going to happen with DCL. All right, let's keep Rondon for a second because I think we can come on to that in a little bit. Um, but maybe we'll um, do a bit of a palette cleanse now. And it's Owen's question, um, who said he needs to get rid of Maras and uh, Shimakash. And he basically hits at the Liverpool triple up. Where do you go there? So what's the thoughts on buying Jota now or going Robbo and switching from a 3-4-3 to a 4-3-3? Um, I think here he's kind of trying to get us obviously to tell, is it worth going for Liverpool triple up? And if so, which, assuming you've got Trent and Salah, I know you don't, Anthony, but I think that a lot of people are in that situation and looking at the numbers. I, you know, I should I should be, Tom. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, at the time it made sense, but obviously you're a sole jotter owner. So yeah, you're obviously out there as usual. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, there was a classic jotter experience this weekend. An expected goal involvement at 1.3, according to Fans Football Hub. Uh, no returns whatsoever. Only him and Watkins managed an XGI of above one. Didn't manage to turn anything this weekend. Oh, and he was also hooked early. 
again. Um, whereas Robertson, usual diligent game, few chances created, obviously overshadowed by Trent. They compare Robertson with a 7.0 midfielder, and he's probably going to give you brilliant value over the course of the season. Thus far, Liverpool's XGC is fourth and bottom. Um, obviously, very early days, usual health warnings. Um, didn't get a chance to watch them as I was driving home. I watched the highlights just now in much of the day. Um, but anything there, Anthony, from your observation of um, the game yesterday and just in general? I mean, I think Robertson looks like a long-term pick, whereas Jota is a short-term hope. I think I'm looking. I'm going to be selling him up after the Brentford game in a couple of weeks' time, I suspect, when Firmino's back and his minutes starts to become a bit under question. But, I mean, I've got him in at the moment, and I think that he is <laughs> primed to explode, I hope, but primed to at least do something because, wow, the chances Mane squandered are beyond measure. Yeah, uh, in that Leeds match, in fairness to Jota, most of his goal involvement was through assists to probably Mane. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, obviously he didn't get any returns. It's extremely frustrating owning Jada. But the fact of the matter is, is that at least you could at least point to the fact that the underlying data is there to back up having him. I think there's more underlying data that would point towards going for a double attack for Liverpool than a double defence for Liverpool. And that's not because their defence has been poor. Uh, it has looked shaky at times when you're watching it. But I just feel like there is a higher ceiling to be got from that double up in attack than there is from Robbo and Trent. Trent is, for years, for maybe two, three seasons, we had a point where we weren't sure if TAA or Robbo was the better option. I think at this point, it's quite clear who is the you know the senior uh, pick, and it is very much TAA. Uh, Robertson, on the other hand, I feel will be good at some point in the season. He's already good, but he will be very good at some point in the season when Liverpool's fixtures are just particularly green when it comes to their... Um, kind of just their chance of getting clean sheets. I just don't feel like this current run is perfect for doing that because it's just going to be hard to move out of. Whereas Jota allows you to switch across uh, quite soon to loads of the other uh, good midfield options that are there after that Brentford game. And so I think as much as anything, that's part of the reason why I would prefer it is just that I think it gives you a little bit more versatility. That said, if you got Robbo in for these next two games, especially if you were on a wild card then you could be thinking about moving off and you know treating your elite defenders as you know Reese James, James you're thinking and then yeah. uh, yes exactly you could talk about Reese James you could talk about Diaz you could talk about Laporte uh, talk about okay. all these different options that are there and then I think then there is an argument to do that especially if you're on a wild card and it's 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 an FPL manager thing that I think we think that we need to avoid defensive transfers but if if they were 7.0 midfielders, we'd be just rotating them all the time. And so maybe if you just embrace <laughs> embrace that logic and just do it and then have Robbo, but know that you're going to move him on and move him in and out, I think it's viable. But oh, and I think it's, it's kind of hard to do that. And I think it just requires a bit of a fundamental shift in how you think about uh, FPL that maybe I certainly haven't managed to min- mentally bridge <laughs> that, that gap, but maybe you can. Cool. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I think if you last couple of games, you know, Allison really, really like point blank save from Rodrigo yeah. in the last game, and the game before that, yeah, obviously the ridiculous like he's. I think he's he's it's, it's tough to him Edison, but I think Allison does, does actually face more shots, and his his ex expected goals prevented this season is uh, again really really good. And last year, I think he was top for that. It depends on team structure. It depends, as you said, Anthony, how you kind of strategize around what you're doing. Are you going to be ending up moving like so Robertson out and kind of going, you know what? Well, okay, I've got Robertson there. Then here comes James, and I've got one four million to then move forward somewhere else. Fair play. I think if I was Owen. I'd be looking at probably Jota still. I know that obviously we're all frustrated as owners, but a lot of it was 
beyond his control. Like obviously, there's one really nice chance earlier on in the game, um, where he took the ball down and then the shot was eminently savable for Melier. Um, but the rest of it was just like you know another day. If Mane's um, in form and flow, however you want to put it, like he's got two assists there. Yeah. And, and at the, that price, it's, 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 it's the Fran Torres paradox again. At that price, there's a like, fifteen. Wow. There's a fifteen point haul in there, um, and you, you suspect it's going to come in one of the next four games. But just the hilarious thing is, is it could easily come against City. Oh, absolutely! You know, We've all sold him. That's when it's yeah. going to come off. Right, let's move on to Leeds um, and um, Allure onto themselves. Um, FPL Dummy Tom and FPL Hoofed God both note the great fixtures for these coming up, but they both sound pretty tentative. And a few people have been quite tentative around the place. Um, do we, they ask, go for it with them or is it a trap? Um, I think we always say, um, to begin to answer the question, that fixtures beget form. And I'm sure that will be the case with these two. And it's fair to say it's not quite come together for them yet. Um, I mean, they're so so in the data by the looks of this, you know, middle of the pack sort of thing. But I'm sure it will. You know, there's no better time than the next six fixtures as well, which only take in West Ham with teams finishing the top half of the Premier League last season. It's definitely the time for the likes of Bamford and Co to step up, I'd imagine. So they've got Newcastle first up, the worst XGC of any team, followed West Ham, which is obviously a bit slightly tougher game. And actually, there's an argument that you probably want the West Ham players there rather than the Leeds players um, and then you've got Watford Saints Wolves Norwich uh, for Leeds then I'd imagine those goals on the radar you obviously will know about my love for Bamford um, from Tanzan Mafiri um, and he's got, actually got a 0.1 million discount at the moment um, and we've spoken at length about Rafinha uh, being a Hazard-esque character in the past who shows up in the threat and creativity columns ludicrously overpriced as well so Ampis for the Countryman FPL Review has him being the most valuable player in FPL so I mean, I've got Rafinha um, I've got him in my wild card I'm pretty happy with him um, watch any Leeds game you'll, you'll, you'll know <laughs> that that's pretty damn decent uh, for the for the price um, we need to turn that liveness into actual returns um, Bamford as well you know, last season uh, opening season in the Premier League 190 plus points in FPL um, that's also pretty damn good um, I'm I if I I'm still a bit torn on if I get rid of Antonio or not if I did I'd be getting rid of him for Bamford I'm not sure yet I'm not sure. Uh, what's about Leeds, Anthony? I'm very uncertain with Leeds, to be perfectly honest with you. Like you, Tom, I have Rafinha in my side. I've seen enough to want to keep him, but if I was someone who didn't own him, I'm not sure if I'd have seen enough to buy him in. And Leeds have looked a little flatter than they have. I think, Tom, did I see you quoting in the Slack yesterday? I can't find the, di- the statistic myself that Leeds' presses or pressures, maybe, what is it, yeah, are down a, below no, their right. average. Adam, Adam, Brick, Adam Pritchard's literally telling us the whole time that Leeds are looking tired. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that's one from him. The pressures per 90 had gotten like from being in the upper echelons to being in the lower sort of dredges of the league. And that is quite interesting. And that kind of feeds itself towards kind of this, you know, maybe greater problem that Leeds have suffered. Though that said, they have a you know very distinct structure, and they have had huge injury problems at the back, especially in the centre defence and uh, defensive midfield. And you know each of those have kind of like upset this fairly finely tuned system that relies on so many things kind of going right. And this is why when things go wrong for them, it's usually explosively wrong against good teams, but they tend to beat teams around them. And what this fixed run is is a run against teams that you would see as around them and below them, starting with Newcastle, who have been terrible. And so with that in mind, I think there's an awful lot to be said for having one leads attacker in your side right now. 
The problem with Bamford is that he is, again, talking about that zone of pricing that we were talking about. He occupies that difficult 8.0-ish 8 zone that makes him very hard to kind of move on unless you're, for example, putting him into your Antonio slot. But then you don't have Antonio. And if Antonio continues or comes anywhere near the form that you had in the early in the season, when I think it had become consensus that he was a set and forget, uh, premium disguise, you know, forever anointed king. That that was what uh, everyone was saying before the international break. He was, uh, you know, a, a lock in everyone's teams. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny the way that that has kind of reversed as violently as it has with one suspension for the game you didn't really want him for anyway. Uh, so. <laughs> basically what I'm saying is probably look at Rafinha and after that work out whether you think Bamford is worth getting probably for the game week seven game against Watford because the West Ham game could be awkward West Ham have been decent defensively so far whereas Watford are very much in the Newcastle bucket as really really struggling this season so far defensively probably would go there Um, but I imagine that Bamford's transfers in are going to start to gain momentum just because obviously you have people of DCL where, where are they going to go and go to Antonio they probably all mm-hmm. own them or well, Bamford's got good fixtures coming up I think that I think we'll see Bamford's ownership actually exploding exponentially um, but I, I'm pretty happy on Rafinha and then waiting to see I think at the moment maybe on come Friday either, like if, if it gets to the point where it's 50-50 in my head between taking a hit and not. I'm compelled to by my objective to take the hit. Um, but at the moment, it's not quite there. I think it's, I'm, I'm kind of 70-30 in favour of just leaving it, seeing how they do, especially knowing that in the West Ham game, I'm going to want Antonio. I'm probably going to want Ben Rama for that game. I'm not going to want um, Bamford as much as I'm going to want Antonio for that game because that's yeah. the sort of game he's going to flourish in given the data we've seen. Yeah, and just with Rafinha as well, just to just like nail home the point with him, he has been a nearly man in pretty much all of their games so far. I don't recall a moment against Burnley where he could have had something, but certainly against Liverpool, it was his assist that uh, wasn't converted with by Rodrigo oh, with that so really good close, save. Yeah, yeah. And against Man United, we talked about it in our pod pre-game week two. Uh, Rafinha had by far and away uh, leads his best chance of the game and had you know could easily have had you know two returns in that game if things had gone slightly differently. I know the wood is could as should as, but even when yeah. leads are performing poorly or have been struggling in games, Rafinha has been the one who's been getting the chances. Bamford has looked an awful lot more peripheral by comparison, just to the eye test. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's move on to the final question this week, which is a future forays. So lots, it's a loose group of questions asking a few things surrounding future moves. So friend of the pod, FPL JMO, top man James, I've met him a few times in meetups in London. And FPL, uh, Snake FPL um, asked about wildcards. Um, James asks if we have an update to the wildcard now. He's thinking about Palace, Wolves and Kaku. And Hodafi actually asked about Crystal Palace too. So he wants us to dissect them, which we may not quite do here. Um, Palace. Clippar and Gill as well um, relatedly asked if we're planning on triple Chelsea for game week seven. Uh, Snake's question actually um, was which players outside the players we've already discussed in this podcast should be also <laughs> picks for a wild card? So outside of you know the obvious you know, Ronaldo, Trent, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Obviously, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, uh, I'm not going to go into it forever. Um, mm-hmm. To start with the Clippar and Gill question, Chelsea from game week seven, um, having a double or triple in them, we all know we're going to end up doing it. If you can sustain that without using a wild card, then all power to you, basically. Let's leave Palace for now. We did mention earlier on Colin Gallagher, um, fourth for expected goal involvement overall um, mm-hmm. amongst all players this season so far. 
a very kind of you know yaya-esque sort of role he's playing in the box but box to box for palace lots of responsibility he's taking um i really like him actually um, if I was going to make a move this week, if I was going to ditch both West Ham men, as Adam Pritchard was advocating, um, I'd probably look at Antonio to Bamford and Conor Gallagher in for Ben Rama, benching Gallagher this week, playing Dennis, who's got Norwich. Uh, but I think wildcard-wise, it's quite interesting. That's because Anthony and I um, have both wildcarded. I think I mentioned this earlier on. So we're probably the wrong guys to be asking about this because I, I can't think of any other pods where both the co-hosts have wildcarded by game week three <laughs> but yeah as, as we said last week about information what is enough you know, the lads at analytics fc as we found out in the preseason needed 15 20 weeks to update their priors and i wildcarded early to nab the team that i wanted early and Ampli did the same it's worked out so well for both of us yeah, guys. absolutely we've been, we've been killing it <laughs> but it's a bit wishy-washy to say um but it's always an individual thing for when you think what you the wild card needs your wild card. Um, uh, 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 Matty H on Twitter, for example, has got 86 this week. Similar sort of you know, things, 50-50 is just going his way. And, you know, you, you, you've got to just look at your team and think, am I ready now? Nick mm-hmm. said to us well, on Slack this evening, you know, I've got eight or nine kind of things I want to do. Um, and it, early it, wild cards, you said last week, Anthony, no, two weeks ago, I think now, tends mm-hmm. to be beneficial to elite managers, don't they? It does, yeah. It's been a consistent trend that uh, quite frequently the top 50 at the end of the year tend to be people who walk out early, got on the template and then rode it all the way to success. And that's um, kind of been something that happened. We, it seems Tom, haven't managed to wildcard into that template just yet, but we're trying to get there. What I would say is that when it comes to putting together a wildcard right now, do you have enough data? No, but does that mean you're hapless in your decision-making? Also, no. Like There's plenty there for you to you know, act on what you're doing and to make some sort of predictions about how players will do further on. You won't know everything, but you never know everything. Even if you have 20 weeks of data, you don't necessarily end up, um, you know, romping home in FPL. Yeah. So with that in mind, I, I suspect you can go ahead. And the problem is, is that, especially when we're talking about the the three parts of the freemium that we've been discussing, their prices are just going to start ticking up. They're going to be a little bit harder to get and quite a few of the enablers that go around them are also going to start ticking up. And those maybe start to tuck into some of the players that were maybe being discussed in the sides that were mentioned in the questions, the likes of Palace, and that is the likes of Gallagher, or even Odson Edward, who obviously has had a spectacular debut with two goals off the bench. And it's very hard to know what to make of that when he had so, so limited minutes and so much impact. But Palace have kind of some tougher fixtures coming, whereas Wolves, who were also mentioned in one of the questions, they have much better fixtures. I, of course, in my own wildcard, brought in Connor Cody, there is plenty of options there. It was Martial who did very, very well this week, but Semedo has also looked pretty good underlying in the underlying stats. I think, Tom, you were saying that Marcel has the more promising data there. And then there is, of course, the chances to punt on the likes of Trincao or also Jimenez, but I'm not sure if that's really worth doing when there is so much hot competition in their price brackets that they haven't really been able to yeah. match in, with their underlying data so far. Uh, so, yeah, there is... When I, one of the questions there asked us about you know the the players you know that we would say would be nailed outside of the the classic template or the classic let's say threemiums or whatever. I find it very hard to point to anyone ex- outside of Sanchez in gold, to be perfectly honest with you, as someone that's worth doing. I think you're going to inevitably have a four point five midfielder, and I suspect I would suggest getting Alan 
as that 4.5 midfielder. It's a very unsexy thing to be suggesting. But that's it's not a meme pick. It's much more than a meme pick. Find me a, a pick. find me many higher scoring 4.5 midfielders, Tom. And uh, then when yeah, really, I think Rafinha would probably be someone who I would put in basically on a fixture punt, but also you know maybe on the basis of what he's done last season. Uh, beyond that, really, I. I personally, I think if I was wildcatting right now, I would look to Ferran Torres and maybe roll that dice on him. Oh, and Trent Alexander-Arnold, if just he wasn't mentioned, would have to go in to this team. Uh, after that, I really feel like it's very hard to identify must-owns beyond that. Maybe leave Romento just as an enabler, but I can understand why people want a bit more depth at that point. I mean, um, after weekend blanks, for example... Jota and Torres now look really shaky picks and those are not going to be featuring in wild cards and that's going to be a nice narrative bias for people to go for that kind of freemium setup and going to go, you know what, these, these 7.5 million-ish midfielders are doing nothing, so I'm, I'm not going to look at them. But that's so hindsighty, I feel bad saying it. I'll still say one of them is worth inclusion. Um, I think that Rafinha would be, I think that Shaw actually, Loki, would be as well. Oh, I mean, here we go again. I know, I know. But with Ronaldo, I think with the Ronaldo factor, uh, with the fact that you've got Cavani last year, who had the best um, headed goals, expected goals, effectively, um, from Shaw taking corners, basically. Um, he could be one who's worth looking at for the short term, at least, and just for the long term. Uh, James James Carroll, who was on last week, obviously we spoke. I spoke to him um, over the course of my wildcard time, and he made a really good point about the fact that you can just leave him there, and if they're able to unite a sense of defensive solidity, which isn't quite happening at the moment, uh, with the creative returns that we've seen this week on the assist, and um, then maybe, just maybe, he could be worth one of those. He could be one of those you could just hold long term. Um, I do think with that United defence, we've seen them being, in terms of underlying data, particularly good. I think they were, you know, very consistently the third, if not second best defence in the league last year in terms of underlying data. They didn't necessarily match that with clean sheets. But with Varane in that defence, they are infinitely better looking. It just hasn't quite knitted together. And I think an awful lot of that lack of knitting together has come down to the absence of, you know, a solid midfield. The impact of McTominay being injured is way bigger than it should be in a side as good as this. But it is definitely impacting on them so far. And I think Ole has a tough decision to make in terms of sacrificing some of his attacking talent to try and solidify that that little bit more. You know, Varane, Maguire, Bombazaka and Shaw are good, but they can't keep out everything without a little bit more support. No, maybe not. All right, let's move on to captains and transfers. Um, so bus teams, obviously, um, I am able to deal with Antonio and uh, not playing. I mean, it was put in third bench and basically filled a 3 5 2 because Dennis, the 5.2 million hero, goes on the wing for Watford and doesn't do very much by all accounts, um, has Norwich away. Um, so I'm able to kind of absorb it. Got a bit of Rama hanging around. Maybe I could have Christensen, you know, I could move Christensen out, move Antonio out, get Bam under 4.5. Don't want to do that. I'm not too sure. Christensen to someone like Livermento or Ben Rama out to Colin Gallagher. And Antonio to Bamford, is that going to pay for minus four? Obviously, it's minus two because you know, Antonio's not going to play. But I think that I'm probably going to leave it this week, I think, and just trust the depth from, in my squad that I've got to keep it running. I'm probably going to captain Salah, but it'll be whatever the, the algorithm has to do. Um, Anthony, your team? 
Yeah, so right now I, f- I feel like I will use my two free transfers. Uh, spoilers alert, I because of transfers and price movements, I'm already going to do the Kane to Ronaldo move before the end of this evening. I just feel like that needs to be done. I've already lost 0.1 on Kane, which is infuriating. So I've, I'm going to just move that on before there's a difference of 0.2 in my buying power um, with Ronaldo going up as well. So with that in mind, then that leaves me with one transfer left to go. I feel like the biggest thing that I want to rectify in my side is to get Trent Alexander-Arnold in, although getting Salah in maybe should be a higher priority. There's obviously going to be one person who goes if Salah is to go and that is Salah is to come in and that is Bruno Fernandes. I think going into this game, into this game week with both Ronaldo and Fernandez is just a bit much. I'd be much happier going in with both Salah and Jota and hoping that things finally work out for the two of them. And if Jota outscores Salah, I'll smile. I'll smile. I swear I won't get annoyed. I'll smile. And sure. um, I'll take my points. Um, with that in mind, though, I think the basically because as it stands right now, even if I move Fernandez to Salah, I'm kind of looking at basically playing Alan. And much as I have so much belief in Alan. Uh, I'm not sure if I really want to be playing Alan in midfield and then relying on a defence that's made up of Ailing, Cody and White. Uh, it just feels like I'm kind of just kind of burning the candle far too brightly at the front. And so with that in mind, I think it's one of my West Ham players is going to have to make way. I have at the moment Antonio, Benrahma and Sufal. I think Sufal is the one who's going to have to make way to probably get in Trent Alexander-Arnold. How are we to finance that? I do have a bit in the bank, but I'm going to probably have to do something a bit dramatic to finance that. So then I'm actually pushing towards a minus eight, but I think it might be worth it, to be perfectly honest with you, in the long run. I just need to rectify some of the mistakes I made in the wildcard. And you know, the worst way I could possibly accept those mistakes is to just leave them continue to impact my side. I think just pulling off the band-aid, fixing it. And I guess, to be perfectly honest with you, countering all the people who are wildcarding with a little bit more knowledge and who are basically wildcarding into the team that I should have wildcarded into and that I could have and that I didn't. Um, and I just need to kind of act to not fall further behind. I'm 831k right now. With those hits, I'll be back outside the million again. But whatever, I think I feel like I need to do it to move further forward. And then with that in mind, my captaincy will probably go on to Salah when I have him in my side. Yep, same for me. Because I'll go, we always do that. All right. Mm-hmm. That's probably it, isn't it? Yes, indeed, Tom. It is. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. We were Who Got the Assist. We would greatly appreciate if you could leave a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast so that we can push ourselves up the algorithms and all the rest of it. Uh, it would be much appreciated. YouTube, if you want to listen to, or to watch us there and also to listen to us, I guess, if you just want to keep us in your pocket and keep YouTube rolling, then you can find us there. Just search WGTA on YouTube and you'll find it. Search Who Got the Assist if you want to and you'll find it there too. Correspondence, who got the assist at gmail.com with absolutely anything that you want to get off your chest about FPL or even not FPL, uh, perhaps. Uh, the league code, if you want to join our mini league, is 3IP43T. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, I hope this did you think about the freemium setup. If you hate portmanteaus, we're not the pop for you. But overall, we'll be back next week. Goodbye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.